0: Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now, let's join our guest speaker. This morning, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever had a secret that you had that you didn't want to really tell anybody till the appropriate time? Yes. Did you tell that to somebody else and tell them, don't tell it to another time? Did they tell it? Well, this morning, I want to speak to you from the Word of God about a secret Godhead, a mystery. And we want to see what He has to say to us. Are you with me? All right, let's pray. Father, this is Your Word. You are here amongst us, Lord, and Your Word goes forth to accomplish that for which it was sent. We receive it. We thank You for it. And give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Turn with me, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 3. i want to read some verses to get us in the proper context. And from that point on, we'll look and see what God has to say. Amen. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for the sake of you Gentiles... If indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery. That's number one, the mystery, God's secret. As I wrote before in brief, by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. That's number two which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it had now been revealed to his holy apostles and the prophets in the spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles and fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a minister according to the will and the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all saints, the grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery. Third time, which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities and the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which He carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. God has had an eternal purpose. And it's been hidden, if you will, and it's sort of been talked about among His prophets, but it came into full view when the Apostle Paul gave us this part of Scripture to introduce us to the fact that there's something that's been going on in God that most of us have never seen Or else we have forgotten. And that I want to bring to you today. You see, God has a passion in his heart. He has a passion in his heart. A passion. Before the beginning of the heavens and the earth, before, there she was. There was a woman. Elegant, forever young, stunning, beautiful, captivating, and hypnotic. She is the very heartbeat of God's eternal purpose. If you really want to know, the Bible is a love story. The greatest love story there ever was. So instead of watching a video on some love story, read your Bible. It's good. If we go back to the very beginning in Genesis chapter 2, we find that the Bible opens up with a man and a woman. In Revelation, the last book, it ends with a man and a woman. It begins with a wedding and ends with a wedding. It ends with a. It starts with a marriage, and it ends with a marriage. <laughs> God has finished creating the heavens and the earth, and then on the seventh day, He rested. Now, on the eighth day, this is found in Genesis chapter two, verses eighteen through twenty-four. God has finished his creation, but he does something else. Yeah, he goes on, on the eighth day to do something else. He is going to go about, and he's going to set up a place for Adam, gives him a garden, gives him authority over everything on the earth, and finally he brings the animals to Adam and says whatever he calls them, that will be their name. So all the animals came to Adam and he named them. Every last one of them. But he noticed there's nobody here that looks like me. They don't have my hands. They don't have my lips, my eyes. And God took note of that. In fact, he had said even before all this, it's not good that man should dwell alone. So, on the eighth day, God does something absolutely extraordinary. He puts Adam into a deep, death-like sleep. And he breaks open his side and takes out a rib. And he builds a second human being. He fashioned, or if you will, he made a woman. Now, she wasn't part of the first creation... But she is a new creature. She, has, she is not just a new creature though, but she is just like Adam, only in another form. And Adam takes a look at her and he says, you are bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. And in chapter 5, verse 2, we find where God said over them, I created them male and female and I called them Man. Oh, this sounds like a good love story, does it not? Yeah. You see, she took his name. She took his name. We do that today in marriage, don't we? She took his name. She was uncreated. She was flawless. She had the same life in her that Adam did because Adam had God's life in him. She was his increase and together, get this folks, together, all you single people out there and all you husbands and wives, listen, together, together they bore the complete image of God and she was Adam's glory. Corinthians eleven seven 7 says that the woman is the glory of the man. And she was. She was. Now turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5 for a moment. Let's take another look at this. In verse 31 it says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. This mystery, there's that word again. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. That's going on right? Okay just check it. Now, God, as I said, has a passionate, passionate love within himself. He can hardly be contained within him. And from all of creation, even before creation, in eternity past, he has had this, but he hasn't revealed it yet. He didn't reveal it to Adam. He didn't really reveal it to Abraham or Moses or King David None of those people knew anything about this. It came much, much later, as we're going to see. Now, everything comes from God. And God, within Himself, is totally adequate. He needs nothing else. But there's that passionate love that He has within Him. But you see, here's the problem. God can't be loved unless there is a Beloved. You can't love without having something to cast your, your feelings, your emotions, your complete self upon. And this was God. Yes. And he had a son named Jesus. And he looked at his son and he saw, you know, as I see through history, as I see through time, as I see through the purposes that I have put within my own heart to bring to pass, you are very much like Adam. You don't have a counterpart either. So when God made man, he had put within him a vibrating passion for someone like his own heart, and he has also put that in Jesus for his bride. Now, what was God going to do? Well, we read, God created the heavens and the earth And all the life forms in it. And when God did this, there was a woman inside of God. It tells us in Ephesians 1 verse 4. Just as He, Jesus, chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before Him. You see this, that before the foundation of the world, God had already purposed, He had expressed His heart, hadn't revealed it just yet, but He had purposed in His heart that we would be chosen before that foundation of the world and that we would be holy and blameless before Him. But it gets better. It gets better, folks. You see, in time, Jesus came to this earth And He came, it says, to save sinners. But the Scriptures are very clear. He came for another thing too. He come to claim His counterpart. That which was like Him. And it's been a long time since God began the heavens and the earth. And things have sort of changed. But Listen. In John 3, verses 10 through 13, it says that Jesus came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as did receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born, listen, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but were born of God. So here he comes. He comes to this earth. And he's a totally new species. Never before seen in this earth. Never before even heard. And he comes to his own and they reject him. But that's all right. It's not God's time to reveal anything yet. Before Jesus came, there was a prophet by the name of John the Baptist. And his whole purpose was to prepare the people for the coming of their Christ, Messiah. And he says something very interesting to us over in John chapter 3, verses 29 and 30. He's talking about he who has the bride is the bridegroom. He must increase, but I must decrease. Now what does it say there? He who has the bride. Wait a minute. Jesus has just shown up. And John's prophesying, this is the man. You need to come to him. This is God's man. But she hasn't been revealed yet. Yet Jesus had the bride. That's why Jesus never married on this earth. He already had a bride. Can you say amen? Yeah. Hallelujah. And just as Adam received his bride, so Jesus would receive his bride. Like Adam, Jesus was put into a very deep sleep. Death-like. And there's two reasons for this. Through death, he was going to be able to destroy everything that would be in his way of winning the hand of his bride. He destroyed sin that would seek to separate her from him. He destroyed the law that would suffocate her under a mountain of religious bondage and crushing condemnation. He destroyed the power of the evil one who would seek to take her life. He destroyed the world system which would lure her away from him. He destroyed the old creation which would defile and corrupt her. He also destroyed death itself So that his wife would never taste death. For these reasons. He would not allow her to even appear until after he had died. The second reason he did this. Jesus offered himself to death. Because he wanted to bring his bride outside of him. He spoke to the Pharisees on one particular occasion in John chapter 12, verse 24. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But when it dies, it bears fruit, even much fruit. So picture here Jesus hanging on a a bloody cross, freshly crucified. His life gone out of him representing the the wheat seed that died. And it died alone, just as Jesus did. Oh, boy. But these people have been celebrating a week of the Passover. And then on the new first day of the week, the eighth day, Jesus came out of that tomb. And he became a life-giving spirit. And when he did, his bride came with him. His bride came with him. That one seed produced a multitude of many grains. And it increased and increased and increased. So now, there is a new creation here on this earth. This woman that came out of his side, she is not fettered by the bondages that the old law had under the Old Testament. But she is born holy, flawless, spotless, and without any kind of blame. She is free from all that had been done before that would seek to destroy her. Did you hear that? She's free of it. She has been declared free of it. Back when the Roman soldiers were at the cross of Jesus, they were told to break the legs of them so they die quicker. You know, the, 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 the evening is coming. But when they got to Jesus, he was already dead. So remember, the Roman soldier put a spear and pierced his side, and out came blood. And water. (laughs) When this happened, it spoke of His forgiving of us our sins and the water that came forth showed His divine life. She came out of Him. Christ in another form. And she takes his name. Christian. She is a new species on the earth. She doesn't belong to the old creation. What does 2 Corinthians 5.17 say to us? You can probably quote it as well as I can. If you be in Christ. You are what? You are a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold. New has come. Therefore. If you're in Christ, you also are a new creature made after the image and the likeness of Jesus. She comes out and she has His life in her. She is from Him and through Him and to Him in all things. She has The increase that comes from him. Just as Adam had increase from Eve. And now she's become the mother of all who are alive in Christ Jesus. Even the psalmist recognized this in Psalm 87 verse 5. But out of Zion it shall be said, This one and that one were born in her. And the Most High Himself will establish her. She is brethren, beloved the church and that's us. That's us. She was holy perfect flawless and without blame in his sight. Now I know what you're saying. I know what you're thinking. Who's he talking to? That ain't me how could it be that Jesus could do this because 1 John 3 verse 5 says there was no sin in Jesus if it wasn't in Jesus it's not going to be in his church that's how deep and powerful and wonderful his love is for us Jesus now looks upon her and considers her the most captating thing, captivating thing in the entire universe. When the end comes, he's going to hold his church up. And say, see this one? This one's mine. Look at her. She's dazzling. She's pouring forth in light. She's flawless. She's sinless. She is mine. Rejoice with me. The reason why we came out of Jesus like that, because there's nothing in him that pollutes or is foul or ugly or sinful or contaminating or any other thing. When we came out, we were just like Him. Just a different form. I know, I know, I know. Well, let me read this next verse. Ephesians 5, same chapter we were in. Verses 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself, oh, get this church, that he might present to himself in all of her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. I know what you're saying. I I know what you're saying. I've heard this before, George. That's just our position in him. It hasn't come yet. Don't cheapen what Jesus did. If he declares, this is who you are, this is who you are, whether you feel like it, you consider it so, or even believe it, Because he doesn't see things with your eyes. He sees with his eyes. And all that matters is what he sees. What he sees. You know, when a man falls for a woman and he's got so much love for her just, just waiting to be poured out, he knows if he can just hold on long enough and put out enough love, that that love will return to him. There is one exception, however, if the woman willfully refuses to accept his love. We must see here then the frustration that Jesus every day faces. He expressed his love openly to his people. In Luke thirteen thirty four, it says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem! The city that kills the prophets and stones those sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together like a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not have it. Why so? Because we don't feel worthy in ourselves. We don't believe what he says, and we don't believe who he is. But listen, folks, as I said to you, Jesus doesn't look at us that way. He doesn't look at us that way. Stop believing, therefore, that you really aren't good enough. You're not worthy enough. You can't measure up to for what God says about you. Too often it's because we believe what people say about us sometimes. Oh, you'll never amount to anything. You're just a lazy so-and-so. Don't believe the lie. Even when you stand in front of a mirror and look at yourself, don't believe the lie. Don't claim, if I could only have been somebody else, if I only had a different hairstyle, a different dress, if I had lost 50 pounds, if I could just do this. No. No. The devil is a liar from the beginning and he's still trying to get you all hung up about the fact who you think you are. But you see, Jesus looking at us in a different way, he sees us differently. You see, there's two great motivating factors in history. One of them is guilt. The other is love. And if you don't believe what God says about you, you're still under guilt. And God will not have it. Oh, He will not have it. Listen, folks. If you don't see yourself like Jesus is, you're always going to be under that guilt. But we don't have a right to do that. We don't have a right to do that. We do not have the right to claim an inferiority complex. You don't have that right. Because, you see, that's not the way God made you. I know you're still complaining. Oh, but in myself, I'm just not worthy. And I'm going to have to agree with you. Yes, you are unworthy. But you're not in you. You're in Him. You're in Him. And none of that exists in Christ, so it cannot exist in you. He's done everything necessary for you to be in Him and believe Him recall to your mind what I did. Galatians 2.20 What is it that Paul says we need to learn? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. That's where we start doubting who we are. Did you hear me? I'm crucified with Christ. I died with him. I hung with him on his cross. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I I live by the faith of the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. You don't live anymore by your flesh. You have an alien living within your bodies that's moving about, trying to stretch you and grow you and make you fully into all that God has said that you are. That's who you are. God has declared that. God has said it. And he will not change his mind. From eternity past, you have been in his heart. He's had this pulsating love. And finally, 2,000 years ago through the Apostle Paul, we find out this great thing that God has planned. How dare we say it's not true? How dare we declare we're not it? Because if you're in Christ, you are a new creation. Right now, not down the week, not down the month, not at the end of time. You are right now. Unfortunately, the church as a whole has forgotten this teaching. She's lost sight of her loveliness, her beauty, her purity. She's been brainwashed into thinking that she's an unworthy vessel. She's been programmed to believe that you have to work hard and sweat and strain to earn God's favor. And His love. But the bride of Christ, folks, the bride of Christ, of which you are, does not try to gain God's favor. She is His favor. Amen? This is you. This is me. It's us. Because we were created by Him, for Him, and in Him. Now, I've got a few scriptures to give you. You'll have to write these down if you want to where they're at. I didn't give them to Ivy back there. But these scriptures have to do, and they're not exhaustive lists here, but these scriptures have to do with who you are. Who you are. The first one is found in Romans 15 and verse 7. It says there that we are accepted into Jesus. Did you get that? He hasn't put you on the back burner, said not yet. He hasn't said no, 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 no. He has accepted you. You are who he came for. You are the passion of his heart. In Romans 5.1 it says we are justified. Justified. What does that word mean? Well, in the Greek it means this. You have been declared innocent as though you have never, ever sinned. That's how God looks at you. In Ephesians 1 1, it says, We are saints. The word saints means holy ones. That's who you are. Holy ones. How dare you not believe that? You're holy. God declares you're holy. Colossians 2 9 and 10. It says here, if there's anything lacking, if there's anything not there yet, we are made complete in Him. That's our God. In Romans 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation in us. Who can charge us? Who can say anything against us? Who can do anything? It's God who, who justifies us. It's God who saves us. It's God who declares us righteous. And it's God who says, you can't come near me. In Romans 8, verses 35-39, it says here that we cannot, get this, cannot be separated from the love of God. No matter what happens. No matter what kind of tragedy you find in your life, no matter what ugly sin you might commit, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Oh that the church could just understand that. Second Corinthians 1 verses 21 and 22, it says here that we have been established, we have been anointed. We have been sealed by God. Why? Because the enemy wants you, but he can't have you. You're already sealed. When he comes running after you, Jesus steps up and says, oh, no, 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 no. Too late. I already got her. She's mine. And then there's this scripture at 1 John 5.18. We are born of God and the evil one touches us not. Do you believe that? This is the love of God. This was the great mystery, the secret that God kept for a long, long time till His Son came and died on the cross. And when He rose out of that grave, then came the mystery. The church was in Him all the time. And that's us. That's you. That's me. Church, we need to come to the place that we understand that God has done the work and He sees with His eyes, not yours. So no matter what you think of yourself, you're wrong. No matter what you've done, what you've said, where you've been, or anything else, it makes no difference. The way God sees you, you're perfect flawless, holy. And that's what we need to lay hold of. Let me finish this with an illustration. Imagine in your mind a courtroom. And up on the bench is the judge. His name is God. And over at the prosecuting table is the devil. And over at the defense is Jesus. Satan stands up and says, God, <laughs> he relishes this. God, <laughs> do you know that servant you call George? Do you know that he is a liar, a cheat, a thief? And he goes on and on for about 30 minutes and sits down with a smug on his face. And Jesus, our defender, says, stands up and says, Father, understand this, church. Jesus gets up and says, Father. Father. Everything that Satan said about George is true. But Father, I covered that with my blood on the cross. And God goes, case dismissed. That's us, church. That's us. That's us. Enter into a place where you can find and see the beauty and the holiness of God and what He has planned for you all this time. Think back at the past because it's not yours anymore. There used to be maybe ugliness. There used to be maybe sinfulness. There might have been things that you did you wish you hadn't. But now, now that you are in Christ, you're not that person anymore. You never will be. Because He had His all-consuming love for you and for me. Oh, let's get that church. Pray with me. Father, it's almost too much, Lord, to realize how deeply You love us. That nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from Your love. And You have declared us to be holy, righteous, and true. Father this morning maybe for the first time we receive that we believe that we will confess it it will be our testimony Lord it will be our testimony thank you Father thank you Almighty God and forever we will praise you and glorify and honor you because you're worthy to receive it thank you O God in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com. Contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net. Or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.